the end of the year. The very last couple days of 2012. 2013 is ahead of us. And we don't know what it holds. We're going off some fiscal cliff, I hear. What's going to happen? I don't know. The Middle East is in turmoil. Bullets are being fired. What's going to happen? Well, there's uncertainty, and the uncertainty builds in us, and, but we, in this room, who know Jesus, we face 2013 with certainty. That's what I want you to see today. Blessed assurance, it's a song, right? But actually, we have assurance. We ended last a couple weeks ago, as we've been in our study in Romans, we ended a couple weeks ago with an amazing truth, an amazing reality that we're saved. And if we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, so that's why all things work together for good. That amazing phrase from Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. We have the Holy Spirit asking for what we need. Even, Romans says, our glorification is secure. It's good to end on, on the cusp of 2013, because there's some staggering truth here to be shared that will rock your 2013, every step in it that you take, if you can walk out today certain of something. It's, you're ready, staggering, amazing, Surprising, wonderful, astonishing, astounding, awe-inspiring, breathtaking, mind-boggling, miraculous, overpowering, overwhelming, remarkable, startling, wondrous, stupefying, towering, marvelous. I can use a thesaurus. (laughs) It's amazing. But really it is. Really it is. It's that deep. There's something that amazing for us to take home today from Romans as Paul caps off the first eight chapters of this amazing epistle. I mean, whom God called, he also glorified. Wow! All things work together for good. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, that you and I might be radically free this morning in the certainty of everything working to our good, the certainty of God for us. So I want to look at that with you from Romans because he's going to end it for us. We need to be certain of something, and it's of Christ's love for us. But first, I want to talk about who. Look at Romans eight thirty-one with me. It says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Okay, just started off. How amazing and incredible. Glorification is coming. How amazing and incredible. All things work together for good for us. Who? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who's the us? Very important. If I'm going to tell you, if God's for you, who can be against you? Who's the you? Because there are some possibilities. You know, if I continue to do good things, if I don't step wrongly, if I pray a lot, if I fast regularly, if I'm wholly devoted to the gospel, what is it? If God is for us, well, who's the us? 
for this certainty that we stand on. So I want you to look up just for a minute with me, looking for something that might be about us or our thing or what is it that we're doing. So look at Romans 8.28 and it says, and we know, back up in our text, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. There's two descriptive phrases there, right? We hit them a couple weeks ago briefly. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. There's amazing, staggering, wondrous truth to be certain of if you're part of that group. So that's the first question. I want to make sure you're in this group. So do you love God? Okay, well, I hope so. What does that mean exactly, love God? So it's what Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So hopefully this morning you're with me. You say, yes, I do. I, I treasure God above all things. I, I see, as Paul's been writing in Romans, the centrality of Jesus Christ, my Savior. He is God, and I've set all my hope, all my trust on him. He is my hope. Uh, you want to describe me? You say, yes, I, I love God. There's other phrase that helps define it, right? Have you have been called according to his purpose? There's not some big caveat, as we said before, but this is something that you're actually called to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for all your righteousness, as Paul has been pushing you through all of Romans here. Radical Jesus as the power, not you. Jesus as the wisdom, not you. Is that really what it what it means? Well, take a look with me. We'll even go ahead, if, you, if you're an iPod user, you can follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Paul writes this, the same Paul. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, there's that called word, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. There it is. That's called according to his purpose. His purpose is what? To know that Jesus Christ is the power of God for you. That Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God for you. Not you the wisdom of God. Not you the power of God. But Jesus. I like this analogy. It's it's like you're asleep in your bed. And Jesus Christ walks in. And you're dreaming. But you're dreaming as natural man thinks of Jesus. So you think, I, Jesus, I, whatever, somebody that lived 2,000 years ago, how could he really impact my life? Somebody that went out and didn't even take up arms and fight for what he believed in, instead he went and died? I, it just it seems foolish to me. That would ever really impact me. And then as you're sitting there dreaming, thinking these things, someone's yelling at you, wake up, wake up. And when you open your eyes, choose to wake up. It's the Holy Spirit waking you up to what the truth is. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is everything. He's your Savior. 
He's everything, your Redeemer. And so here you are in reality, called according to his purpose, is you've woken up to who Jesus Christ is. When you do that, oh, who wouldn't? Go put your trust in him and your faith in him. He's everything. He's, he's all you have, always. If that's you, then we need to stagger because God has us and he'll never let us go. Nothing here is said about not ever sinning again, about maintaining some standard, making sure you're better tomorrow than right now. What's said is that God predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God justified those he woke up, and those he justified, he glorified, and glorified is forever. That's our destiny, and it's set. Wow. What shall we say to these things? This is the message of Romans. That's part of this closing step. What shall we say to this awesomeness? How does this play out in our living? What are we certain of exactly here? Let me read it again. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? My first thing is like, Really? It's too awesome. It's too wonderful. But if God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see three main questions in that piece with no direct answer? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the answer? Well, he says a little statement there. God gave us Jesus. Everything else is pocket change. That's what he says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect is the second question. And then this little statement. God's the one who justifies. Who condemns us? And then this little statement, Jesus intercedes for us. And so you see that the answer to each of those questions, right? If God's for us, who can be against us? Nobody can. God gave Jesus for us. (coughs) Who shall bring any charge against God's people? That would be us. The answer, nobody can. Look, God gave us Jesus' righteousness. Who condemns? Who stands up and condemns us? The answer, no one. Who will oppose Jesus Christ interceding for you? That's what he's saying. It's a very important Unstated answers, they come stronger because they're unstated. You see, we skip over the actual answer and just give the reason. Look at Jesus. Look at your Savior. Here's our important answer to all of these questions. Jesus Christ loves us. Wow. Of this, we are certain. This is the certainty I want you to walk out with today. You say certain of what? Here, the love of Christ for you. It hinges right here. It's about Jesus. 
Fact, Jesus loved you and me so much he went to the cross. Fact, Jesus loved you and me so much he endured whippings and beatings and piercing by spears. Fact, Jesus left heaven and he came to dirt-filled earth. We just celebrated it. I know he doesn't, didn't actually, was actually born in December. But we just celebrated that God became a baby. A baby that had to pee and poop. Sorry, I'm raising little kids. Wow. That's God. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. There's about Jesus. He died. He willingly died for you and for me. That's what he did. And more than that, who was raised. He didn't just die. God the Father raised him up saying, I fully approve of your sacrifice, Jesus. Who is at the right hand of God, it says. That would mean something to the readers in that day. The right hand of God. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Wow. The power of Jesus. And it says there who indeed is interceding for us. That's what he lives to do. Hebrews 7 25 says. Our Savior Are you certain of Jesus' love? If you are, it's freedom. Freedom from you, right? Freedom from other people attacking you, from the microscope that other people want to put you under. The critical fact of your existence is that Jesus Christ loves you. Do you believe it? There's one more question here. It's based on the first three. What shall separate us from that love that we're certain of? But I just want you to see, are you certain of it? You know, it's not about, and this is love, right? Not that we love God, but that he loved us. The trust that I have, the faith that I have, is that God actually loves me, and he loves me in the person of his son. And Paul has developed in all of his theology, and here we are at the end of Romans 8, looking back over the first eight chapters, really, of look who you really are. Look at who your identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Look, you could not make it. You were a sinner separated from God and you are no longer because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And now look what you have, freed from death, free from the law. Jesus did it for you. And here, now you're sitting in Romans 8, looking and saying, what am I know for sure for my life for 2013? What do I know for sure? Jesus Christ loves me. Jesus Christ loves you. All of those who put their faith in him, their trust in him. So what's going to take me away from that? That's really the last piece here, the main piece here that Paul then pushes into. What's going to separate me from this incredible, amazing, all-consuming love of Christ? I'll call them obstacles. Let's see what the text says. Because that's the question right there in 35, right? Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I know what I want to answer. I want to answer the same as the other three questions, right? What's the answer? No one. Nobody. That's what I want to answer. But you know what? I don't. 
And if I walked your life with you, I would say the same thing to you probably as me. You're not doing it. We have these obstacles, and these obstacles pull us away from really trusting that Jesus Christ loves me. What's the first obstacle? Well, the first obstacle is the one we've already been dealing with. It's me. Who condemns you? I condemn myself most of the time, don't you? Most of the time, it's the person that's condemning is me. I look in the mirror and I go, ah, I want to be more perfect than I am. Dax, you're a fool and a failure. Get better. I see my own sin. But this is what he's been saying, right? What are we certain of? What's outside of us that we're certain of? The love of Christ for me. I'm not in the equation. Who condemns? I condemn myself. But, but, but Jesus. But I'm safe through Jesus, not through me. I'm not actually in that equation. I condemn myself, but who, who, who justifies me? Well, I justify myself. Oh, wait. No, I don't justify myself. God justifies me on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So actually, the, the one who's not justifying is me. I'm not the judge. God gives me Jesus' righteousness. That's what faith is. To say we make ourselves uncertain, this first piece is not even in the text because he's already been handling it. That's what he's been pointed at. Is guess what, folks? Faith is trusting that Jesus Christ actually loves you. But I'm nothing. Yeah, that's the point. I hate being nothing. I want to be something. So then I say, wait, Jesus. You'll love me more if I'm 20 pounds thinner and I can run two marathons. If I stop smoking. If I don't drink. You'll love me more, Jesus, I know. Once I clean myself up and get myself on the straight and narrow, then I'll be worthy of your love. And when you go there, you're going directly against the gospel. Amazing that you are. I I, I would say, yeah, get yourself cleaned up. You should. Get a good shave. It's good for you. You'll feel great. Sorry, I know there's guys with beards. No problem. I'm not against shaving. You're not shaving. I just... Just not against us, right? That the whole push of the gospel has been, it's not us, it's Christ. And our faith is that even though I can look in the mirror and I still see my sin, that was Romans 7, I still sin, I say, oh, I hate this body of sin and death. Yes, it is passing away. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are saved. So that's the first piece. And even last week, we looked at Isaiah 59, remember? You may remember even last week, when, when the, the writer there talking about Israel and he says, no, the problem isn't God, but your sin has separated you from your God, Isaiah 59, 2 says, talking to Israel. Your sin has separated you from your God. And then the rest of the chapter is about how God's going to have to repair that with the Redeemer. So this idea that even they had in the Old Testament of, oh no, my sin has separated me, I must overcome my sin. No, God had to overcome your sin in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now we know who the Messiah is. And we look and we say, no, our trust is in the Messiah. It is not in me. Jesus has come. My sin separates me from God no longer. 
Okay, but there's got to be other things that separate me from the love of Christ. Yes, there are two particular areas that he talks about in our text from God. Here's one thing, bad things. That's me summarizing, I know, big words, bad things. Bad stuff, bad things happen to us, real things, bad things. The sword that cuts off your head or pierces your heart. The gun that shoots you or your kids. The peril that sweeps away your family and leaves you alone. The nakedness that shames you and violence against you or your loved ones invading your privacy. The famine that leaves you and your kids with skin, with bones, bloated. Persecution that blocks your job desires, burns up your home. Distress or calamity leaves your health wrecked takes your life savings and just tosses them away. Tribulation that rings you and threatens to just push you down. That's addressed here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, no, don't be fooled, he's saying. Bad things are not suggesting that God is not for you. That's where I go, right away, right? Here I am. I'm walking my daily life. Jesus loves me. I, hey, I got four-year-olds five, six-year-old, and they say, hey, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We sing it, right? Jesus loves me, and then, well, one of my kids develops some horrible, strange disease and dies. What did I do wrong? Does God really love me? Those thoughts intrude. They will intrude on you, right? These things happen to you in your life. They're not good things. They're not things where you say, oh, I just love them. They're so happy. When tribulation comes. And yet it says here, we are more than conquerors. And in fact, the thing he quotes there in 36, Paul does, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's, he's, he's saying, no, these things don't separate us from God. But look what he quotes. In fact, put your hand here and go back to Psalm 44. It's pretty amazing. Psalm 44, that's what he's quoting there in verse 36. Psalm 44, verse 22. Here's the psalmist, it's one of the sons of Korah. And he says there in verse 22, Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what he wrote. Keep going for a minute. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? See what the psalmist is doing? The psalmist is linking the fact that they are oppressed and suffering to the idea that God has rejected them. Because in the Old Testament, God did that, not reject them, but discipline them by hurting them. Maybe if I send famine, they'll listen to me and turn from their wicked ways. And obey my law. Right? Old Testament. 
That's what he's doing. And what is Saul, Paul doing, even, even as he uses this text, he's using it to say, no, that's not true of us anymore. Isn't that what he's doing? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Really hard suffering means God is rejecting us, right? No. Sword, that means that God is rejecting us. No. Nakedness, that means God is rejecting us. No. Oh, distress, that means God is rejecting us. No. Actually, he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. For your sake, do you see? This is faith. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that he's put his Holy Spirit in me, that I'm sealed, that I'm guaranteed to go to heaven. I believe that when the Bible says I'm glorified, it's true. I will be. It's so certain. I believe it's not about me. I I believe that. With that belief is, for your sake, you are killed all the day long. Anything that happens to me now, anything that happens to you now, is for the sake of Christ. Look, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's no longer that God is disciplining you or beating you or hurting you when hard things happen to you. It's that for the sake of Christ, you're a witness to the world for all the time that you have left here until you get glorified in heaven. Don't get fooled. For your sake. You see, if tribulation happens, it's for God's sake, particularly for Christ's sake. It is not a sign of disfavor. It is a sign of suffering to glory. Right? 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So that's the first thing that I'm tempted. Beyond just me accusing myself, I'm tempted to see bad things as separating me from the love of Christ or as a signal that I have been separated. And it's not true today. Don't know what you're struggling with. Don't know the picker trial that's in your life. But I know this, it is not a sign of Jesus Christ's lack of love for you. He loves us. There's another little piece here. Because we are little people. And there are real things that go bonk in the night. Have you guys ever read Where the Wild Things Are? It's a children's book. We don't read it at our house. It's too scary. But there are worse things, right? And some of them are real. Satan. I believe there's a real Satan. Demons. Real demons. Even if you don't want to think spiritually, you want to think supernaturally, you want to think authorities. There are dictators and oppressors and people that will take your liberties and take your freedoms and they will do things to you and you should be afraid. Shouldn't you? Look at Romans 8.38. For I am sure, he says, writes, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that awesome? Think through it, what he's really getting after here. Death nor life. No state, can no state of your physical body can keep you from Jesus' love. 
No angels or rulers. These are not angelic beings, right? Are there any angelic beings anywhere that can somehow appear in a host of glorious light and with a flaming sword keep you from the love of Christ? No! Eden, Eden restored. Right? That's, that separated Adam. Adam and Eve put out of the garden. What did they put there to keep them from coming back in? He put an angelic being to do what? Keep them out of God's garden. Nor things present or future. Do you see that there's no other power coming? There's no other huge being coming. Oh, but the Antichrist is coming. Oh, but there's some bad person. Yes, bad things are coming. There is no question if you read the Bible. There are heavy, hard things that happen in our earth. But guess what? They do not keep you from the love of Christ. Nor height, nor depth. You know the best way to think of that for many people, commentators you look at, is talking about angels above or demons below. And there's no height above of supernatural beings out there, scary things, or depth of dark, horrid things that can keep you from Jesus' love. They don't exist. Or even any other created thing. See that? God, our creator God, he made everything. And he is for you. He's on your side. His hand of favor is on you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Otherwise, you better fear. Otherwise, fear should overtake us. Anxiety should overwhelm us. If it wasn't for this, for the fact that God, the God of the universe, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, has his hand of favor on us, this is our faith. And I skipped over a verse. It was 37. Look at it. It says, but we are what? More than conquerors. But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're going to end with this. I want you to see this. How are we more than conquerors? How do we walk out with blessed assurance? We are so certain of Jesus' love. And yet, how does it play out in our daily lives? Why is that the the main piece of where you start from? Listen, this is really important as we end. This is very important. Blessed assurance is where you start from, not what you attain to. Blessed assurance is where you start from, not what you attain to. Blessed assurance is our foundation. We are in. We are loved. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. This is faith, that he loves us enough. Isn't that silly that the God of the universe, we question whether he really loves us in all that he's done? It's very silly, but we don't believe it. But if you do, you put your faith in Jesus, this is how you're more than conquerors. This is victory already yours. Even if you stumble into sin, right? You're motivated now by this love, by the security of it. Take a brief, a brief piercing of Bible texts to see this. See the commands of God. They center on Jesus' love. Look at John chapter 13, verse 34. Do just a little flipping with me. We won't do much. You need to see this. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says. This is our Savior. 
He's got a commandment for us. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you. See, you've experienced that. You're secure in that. You know that to be true, that he's loved you. And therefore, victory. I can love other people. Chapter 15 of John, verse 12. Chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, Jesus says to his disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow, that sounds the same. Yeah, it is the same. Saying you're grounded in the love of Christ. You're so secure in it. You know it. Nobody can take it away from you. No one can accuse you because God died for you. And so you're sitting here saying, I'm free. I'm free to go love other people. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, look at the end of Ephesians. God eats popcorn. No, he doesn't really eat popcorn. But E is Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And look at the end of chapter 4. It says this. It says, be kind to one another, verse 32. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then he goes right on. Therefore, be imitators of God. Oh, how can I do that? As beloved children. Wow, wait a second. I get it. Wait, I get it. There's this thing. I'm more than conquer. Why? Because I realize I am a child of God. Not I hope to be if I'm kind. Not I hope to be if I try and imitate as best I can Jesus. Good luck. You're not Jesus. But I'm more than a conqueror. How? Because I realize I am loved. I am a child. And out of that, I'm free. I'm free to go. Love. Be kind. First John 3.16, I'll just read it to you. By this we know love. Oh, I want to know what love is. By this we know love, that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you hear that? Is that just a repeat of John 13? He laid down his life for us. You know it. Certainty. Blessed assurance. And therefore, I can lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. This is the prayer, Paul. This certainty that is your ground, this, you know it to be true. This is our faith that it's true, that it's not me attaining salvation. It is salvation freely given. And therefore, I am certain of the love of Christ. Listen to Paul as he writes in Ephesians 3.18 that you, us, would have the strength to understand with all the saints what? What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? That is your certainty. And then with that fullness, you will, you will bear much fruit. This is the year. 2013 is just two days away. This is the year to walk every day in full assurance that you are a child of God, loved by Jesus Christ himself. Hold on to that. Buried in your heart. May it make your life overflow. Let's pray.